0: So before we read the text today, the, this morning's message is called Heaven's Help for Your Home. And here's how I want us to think about it today. In Genesis chapter 12, God gives this promise to Abraham, a number of things about him and about the land. And, and, uh, but he, he ends the promises with this. In your seed, every family On the earth will be blessed. In your seed, speaking of Christ, speaking of the one that is gonna come from the line of Abraham, that in Christ, God's plan is to release a blessing, to release favor, to release heaven's help for every single family. So I wanna encourage you that you are here today, you are part of a bigger family. And I want to encourage you to position yourself under the fountain of God's blessing for your family. I want you to contend that whatever the rest of your family is like, whether they're believers or not believers, whether they're a mess, whether whatever they're doing, that you would grab a hold of that blessing for the whole family. This morning's one-year Bible reading was from Joshua, and it was about Rahab. And Rahab helped these spies And she protected them when the the people of Jericho were looking for them. And here's what she says to the two spies. She says, we know that God is the Lord. We know that he's with you. Everybody's terrified in this city. And here's what I'm asking for you because I have protected you. I'm asking for my family. I'm asking not only that I would be safe, but I'm asking that my mom and dad would be safe. My brothers and sisters will be safe. My nieces and nephews be safe. Everybody in my family will be safe. And here's what the spies say. Done. You, here's, but here's how it works. You need to get everybody into this house. Everybody into this house will be protected. You get them here, and we will make sure, as long as you stay loyal to God and loyal to us, we will get everyone in your family and make sure they are safe. Guys, salvation in God's mind has always been a family plan. Everybody needs to get in. Everybody needs to get into Christ. But God puts them on his list. Here's what it says in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your family. So I, I want us all, whatever relationship you have... Rahab was not married, she didn't have children of her own, but she claimed the blessing for the whole family. And so, as we, could we stand together in honor of God's word, and we're going we're gonna to just do a few scriptures here from Ephesians. Nevertheless, each individual, this is Ephesians 5, starting in verse 33, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that, it be, may it, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your tremendous love, and the grace that you are willing to pour out on the human race in Christ. Father, we are here today saying, Lord, get us under the fountain of your blessing. Not just for us, but for our entire household. Our grandparents, our children, our aunts, our nieces, our everybody that's related to us. Lord, we want to claim every one of them for you and for your blessing and for your grace. Pour out your spirit on us in this service, we pray. We'll give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for what is done here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Point one. How do I get under that fountain of God's blessing first? Model and teach honor. So Paul says the first commandment with a promise. In Exodus chapter 20, it gives the Ten Commandments and nine of them have nothing attached to it. It's just do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But right in the middle, there's one commandment that has a promise with it and it's not a small promise. It is a huge promise. Honor your mother and your father and it will be well with you on the earth. You'll have a good life and you will live long on the earth honor. What does it mean to honor? Giving your parents honor means recognizing the place God has given them in your life to respect and esteem their position regardless of whether you agree with them or whether they are currently doing what you want them to. When you honor the position of your parents, You are honoring God, and God will bless you. Regardless of how good your parents are or how good they're doing, if you honor them, if you seek to honor them, God will honor you. Now, here's the difficult thing about honor in our culture. Our culture does not understand honor. Here's what's going on in our culture right now. I will only honor you if you agree with me. And if you agree with my opinion. And if you don't, if you don't see it the way I see it, then I will cancel you. So what we're really saying is, I'm only honoring myself. I can only honor you if you're in agreement with me. If you see things the way I do, then I will grant you. So it's, it's all about me. This is how our culture is being raised. And so the idea that our kids are automatically going to know how to honor, they're not going to. So they have to be taught what honor is, and they have to have it modeled for them. What does it mean to give honor? So I want to talk first, before we get into that, I want to talk about the humility of honor. So Proverbs 14:12 says this: There is a way which seems right to a person and the end of that way is death. It leads you to death. So young people, consider the possibility that maybe having ice cream at every meal is going to end up poorly for you and that maybe your parents actually are onto to something when they make you eat their vegetables. Just consider that possibility. There's a way that seems right to you There's a of what you want to do, but maybe the end of that way maybe is not good for you. And maybe your parents are there, and, and maybe they've lived a little longer, and maybe they've got a little more experience, and they can see the end of current choices better than you did. And so, so even though you disagree with them, consider that maybe I need to honor them and obey them, even though that's not what I want right now. Consider the possibility That was a parent. That was not a, that was not a child. (laughs) That was, that was not a child consider the possibility that even though if you got to do what you wanted to do, you would stay home and play video games, that going to church is actually good for you in the longer term and and developing some of these disciplines where you show up even though you didn't want to be there, that God has good things for you and that that sometimes we are called to do things that don't, they're not what we would choose for ourselves, but somebody Older, somebody that God has given a position sees things more clearly than you do. Now, why is this so important? Because what happens in the home is training you to walk with God for the rest of your life. How many know that God's ways are higher than our ways? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In fact, higher than the heavens are above the earth. There's a big difference between the way God sees things and the way we do. So we're gonna, we're gonna come up against this our whole life where God says do this and you can't see why you would do it that way. But that's the right way to do it. And so you honor God. You honor God's spirit. You honor God's word. And you do it God's way even though there's a way which seems right to you that is different than that. So it turns out that honor is most clearly seen, it's most clearly modeled when you disagree with someone. So parents, one way that you can model honor in your home is with your attitude toward the president. Now, if the president is the one you wanted and you agree with a lot of what they do, then, then you honor them by speaking well of them and praying for them. But it's more clearly seen if you disagree with the president. You disagree with his agenda. You disagree with things that he's doing. And, and it's, Pastor Tom, I'm in America. I'm going to say whatever I want to. I'll, I'll, I'll say whatever I want to. I've got convictions. I, I don't, listen, you got to decide. Everybody's got to decide. Am I an American first or a Christian first? Because there's freedom of speech in America, but there's not freedom of speech in the kingdom. We need to restrain our speech, and we need to model honor. Teachers, you need to teach your children how to honor their teachers at school. So we had an incident when Bethany was in first grade. We were in Montevideo at the time, and she had a teacher, I'm gonna call her Mrs. A., And Beth would come home and she would tell us what Mrs. A was doing and how she was treating the kids. And Mrs. A basically was grumpy. Mrs. A was still teaching, but didn't want to still be teaching, and it, w- it just came off in her demeanor and the way she treated the kids, and Beth was not just hurt by how she was treating Beth, but more hurt by how she was treating others, and it was just rough and, and hard, and, and so here we are, parents, our poor little first grader is in this dilemma, so Alice and I do everything we can to get Bethany out of that class. We're gonna to try to get her in the other first grade, and we try, we try, and we can't get her out. So, uh, new tech. We're gonna teach Beth how to honor Mrs. A, and forgive her, and pray for her. And we're gonna just build this in. We're gonna, we're, 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 we're not making excuses for Mrs. A, but we're, we're going to, well, she did that, she did that, we're gonna forgive her, and we're going to pray for her, because God loves her, God's for her, and you know, she's having a tough life too. And so Beth went through first grade and you know, she learned whatever first graders learn. But I'll tell you what, she learned something else that she can have the rest of her life. How to forgive authority that you're in a disagreement with, how to honor them even though they're not doing it exactly the right way. She has that. She has that for the rest of her life. Teaching our children honor. Teaching them to honor the word of God and honor the church. God's word is for our benefit. God gave this to us. For our benefit. This word exposes darkness in us. So that we can come to the light. So we hold this word in high honor. We do not criticize the word of God. Call it into question. We may not understand it all. We may not know what that means. But we, we honor this word. That's why we stand every Sunday morning. When we, when we read the Bible. And we want to pass this on to our kids. A high honor. For the word of God. Because if you start criticizing, you start questioning in a wrong way the word of God, you're gonna, what, you're, what your kids are going to do is they are not going to believe the word of God. Now, let's talk about the church. The price we have paid in America for being the church's critic, for going home and talking about what we didn't like and what could have been better and how the pastor could have done this or done that. or If we don't honor the church With all of its flaws, our kids will stop going to church. They won't want anything to do with the church. They will be advocates against the church. That's what's happening in our land right now. So here's what I'm encouraging you. Find a church that you can trust and then honor it. Honor it. Don't be the spectator that's on the sideline criticizing it. Be a participant with all of its flaws. Pastor Tom... This is so self-serving, you saying that. I just see you, I just see you serving yourself. Listen, I'm not saying this for you. I'm saying this for your kids. I'm saying, your kids are not gonna make it without the church. They need the church. They need to participate in the church. They need to be able to overcome the failures and flaws in the church. There are no perfect churches, but this is what Jesus is building on earth. And so we, we, we need to come alongside and not be the church's critic and judge, but recognize, listen, whatever the flaws the church has, the church is God's gift to expose darkness, to bring us into light, and so what was God doing with you in church? Not, did you like the the sermon? Did you you like the way this happened or that happened? It's, It's so easy to criticize everything. Honor. Let's model and teach honor. That's one. Here's point two. Fathers, step up. Fathers set the atmosphere for the home. What does it mean that the man is the head of the home? What does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife, head of the family? certainly doesn't mean that he's her spiritual head. Jesus is everybody's spiritual head. You've got a direct connection. It simply means this. God is holding the man responsible for everything that happens in the home. On judgment day, the man will give an account for what happened on his watch in that home. The wife will give an account for how she helped the man that was responsible for that home. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus takes responsibility for the church. He puts it on himself to make his church beautiful. So he's very careful how he speaks to his church. He's very careful what he says and, and the tone that he uses. Man, your words are way more powerful than you think they are. And not just what you say, but how you say what you say. God wants your home to be a healing home. He wants it to be a place where your children feel safe, like I can share whatever is on my heart, whatever I am going through. This is a safe place. My dad is for me. My dad would do anything, sacrifice anything for me. We need to make the home safe men. We need to, Jesus went to the cross first. We need to be the first one to apologize. The first one, when we do something wrong, to say, I am sorry, please forgive me. We need to be safe so that our children can flourish under our care and our wives can flourish under our care. Psychologists give the definition of a dysfunctional home. A dysfunctional home is a home where you're not allowed to talk and you're not allowed to feel. We will tell you what you can say and what you can feel and if we don't agree with how you're feeling or what you're saying, then we need you to stop talking because you're wrong and I'll tell you what's right and, and you, make, you make your home a place that people don't want to be. It's a place of walking on eggshells. It's a place of, of intense pressure because dad is demanding that everybody line up to a certain thing. Let me tell you about the father's home. We got it on the sign, come as you are, come as you are. David is the man after God's own heart. We have David's heart in Psalms. David is, Psalms, he's, he's experiencing it all, isn't he? David is angry. Kill them all, God, kill them all. Kill their babies. I, throw them off cliffs, God. I mean, he's just raging angry, and then he's sad, and I'm despairing, and nobody cares for me, and nobody loves me, and he's, he's just, he's all over the place in the Psalms. Does God approve of everything David's saying? No, but he validates those feelings. I understand you feel that way, son. Let me hear it. Let's talk about it. Let's process your feelings together. This is called a safe home. This is called a home that people want to be at. Your friends' friends, your children's friends want to come because there's something in that home that says, God loves me, and God is for me, and that I don't have to pretend, I don't have to perform. It is a healing home. I want to give you three ways that that fathers provoke their children to anger. So fathers, it says, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather raise them in the discipline or the training and nurture of the Lord. Three ways fathers provoke their children to anger. Number one, when they speak, in anger, or discipline in anger. Here's the thing, Dad. Discipline is not so that you will feel better. You're angry. You're frustrated. I'm going to whack them so that I feel better, because then I won't be angry, because I punished them the way they need to be punished, or I said what I needed to say, and it feels better, because that's what they deserved to hear. Listen, never, ever discipline in anger. Process your anger with God. Take your anger to God. Get right. Recognize how powerful my words are, how easy it is. When you are frustrated, when you're beyond yourself tired, it's easy to give in and make your home a very unsafe place and break trust with everybody. And well, they have to forgive me because they're Christian. Yeah, they can forgive you, but they don't trust you still. Trust is precious. It's fragile. So you need to Man, we need to process our anger with God. We need to process our wounds with God, our frustrations. Whatever it is we're going through, we need to process that with God so that we can be there for our kids to discipline them for their sake, not for our sake. That's one way that you, you provoke your kids to anger is when you discipline them in anger. And that moves to number two, inconsistency. So let me tell you about the home I grew up in. We had six six children, four older and, uh, than me, and then was uh, a stillborn, Mary was, was born stillborn, and then it was me and Jimmy at the end. And uh, my dad was the oldest of nine children growing up, and his father was an alcoholic, and they grew up in the Depression, and they were literally at the verge of starvation. They were always getting help from the county. They were always, and so my dad had to kind of be the man in the house, and so he developed lots of defenses, and, uh, and then in, he, he ran the newspaper in Milton. He owned and ran the newspaper in Milton, And it was never a very profitable venture. And so we were always, he was always under a lot of stress, always working very, very long hours. And so there was one rule when dad got home at night, and that is, don't bother dad. Do not bother dad. We always had dinner together. He insisted on it. We were all there. If you weren't home for dinner, that was one of the hugest violations. You you got a spanking for that one sometimes. But after dinner, Dad sat in the living room couch every single night. It was the exact same thing. He had a glass of wine, he had his paper, and that was Dad's time. No one bothers Dad during that time. So we were all a little terrified of Dad because he was very inconsistent. He was too tired to do discipline most of the time. But once in a while, he would get triggered. We're Irish. And he, that temper would go like that. And I saw him beat up Mike. I saw him beat up Katie. I, it was just crazy. Like, he could go off. And so you could push him, push him, push him. But if you triggered him, that, that, that was... So here we are. It's, it's after dinner. One day, I'm probably about eight, maybe ten. And uh, my sister Sheila... Does anybody remember the milk jugs that had a handle on top? It was a gallon of milk, but there was a plastic handle on top. And we are clearing the dishes. Dad is in his zone on the couch. He's got the paper. He's got his wine. He is very relaxed. And Sheila says, we're learning about centrifugal force in science. And she says, I, she says I, I'm not kidding. She says, I can turn this milk carton over and no milk would come out, will come out. And we're like, don't do it, Sheila, don't do it. We all, we all see it coming. And sure enough, so she starts getting this milk carton going. It is filled with milk. And what happened next, guys, it's in slow motion still in my mind because it was so unthinkable and so horrible what happened. So here's what happened. She goes, boom boom, boom. And there's a release. And this milk carton is heading towards dad. It doesn't hit him directly. It, It hits right above his head and explodes. Dad is absolutely drenched in milk. The paper is ruined, his precious paper. And we have, we've never seen anything on this level before. We, we've seen him go off at much, much less than this. So here's what we did. The six children, here's what we did. We hid in the closets upstairs. <laughs> I think that might have been an awakening for, for my dad of how terrified we were. Do you know that he did not say one word about what happened? He went up to his room, dried off, changed his clothes, came down. We never heard a single word about that milk carton incident. We provoke our children to anger when we discipline them for our sake in anger. We, we provoke them to anger when we're inconsistent. We got one rule for this kid, we got one rule for that, and we don't keep the rules consistently. Can I give you a revelation, young parents? Here's how you, if you want to be consistent with rules, make very few rules. The more rules you make, the more things you're going to have to keep track of. And you're going to have to be consistent with. Just have a few rules and then follow through on those rules. And it, it actually helps if you let the kids make the consequences with you. Okay, this is wrong. What are going to be the consequences? Then they can own them. When they're in trouble, you want it to be their fault, not your fault. Because, you, you know, you didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen. Well, yeah, you did. Third way that fathers provoke... Their children to anger is when they hold on to their children too tightly. You've got to let your kids grow up. The goal for your children is to be able to stand on their own when they get out there. So as they get older, they need to make more and more choices on their own, which means you've got to let them suffer consequences when they're making a bad choice. You can't bail them out all the time, or you are coddling them, you are enabling them. If they broke the thing, make them pay for it. Make them save a lot. Give them more money by doing something around the house. But don't coddle your children. Raise them up. And your goal can't be that they will be under your thumb the rest of their life. They, that will not work. Your goal has to be for them to stand on their own two feet. And so, so as they get older, give them more and more choices. Have them pray about things. Tell, give them your opinion. And maybe they want to go to the party and you don't want them to go to the party and you let them have the final choice. Okay, then make them deal with the consequences if it was a bad choice. Um, otherwise you're going to make them resent you. And then finally, this discipline, raise them in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. The word discipline there is the word for training. This is about training your kids. How many know that your kids don't know what to do? Somebody has to show them. Don't just teach them, train them, help them. Alice taught our children how to forgive. She would like, say you're sorry, I'm not sorry, say it anyway. I'm sorry, say you forgive them, I don't forgive them, say it anyway. Uh, We're going to teach you how to forgive. They don't automatically know how to do stuff. They don't know how to be polite on their own. If your kids uh, are not going to automatically say thank you and they're not automatically going to say please, you have to teach them to be polite. Now hopefully you're training them. Hopefully you're polite. Hopefully you're living out. It's very hard to get them to do stuff if you're not doing it yourself. I I remember when Christina was two years old. Christina was the cutest two-year-old in history. She looked like a little angel. She comes into my mom and dad's kitchen, I'll never forget this, she had her sippy cup in her hand. And she lifts it up to me, she says, Daddy, I want milk. And I'm like, okay, what do you say, sweetheart? And she thinks about that and she says, now. (laughs) That's the sin nature. We have to teach them how to become polite, honorable members of society. So I, I got a little excited when I was in Montevideo. I was teaching on training your kids. I was teaching on the home. And I might have overstated my own role in our family because I was saying... You know we need to model being a servant, and I said, for instance, our kids all have chores for after dinner, and I know that they don't want to do them. So what I will do is I will pop up and help them to inspire them to clear the table or do whatever. I just kind of model this helpfulness and come alongside the one, so that I'm not just saying you need to do. I'll say you need to do it, but then I will serve alongside them. Well. Apparently, I was making myself look a little too good because my wife, who is a huge introvert, in all of my years, I don't remember there being ever one outburst in a service until I was talking about me popping up to help serve. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, she goes like this, really? We lost that service. That, that service is just like, yeah, everybody's gone now. All right. Point three. <laughs> Believe God's grace is greater than your situation. Friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. If this is about how good of a parent we are and that if, if, we're, if we're the perfect parents, our kids will, will work out great, our kids are in a lot of trouble, if that's how it is. This is not about us being these amazing parents. This is about God's grace, whatever your situation is. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says that where sin abounds, grace is going to abound all the more. God knows your situation. Maybe you're here, you're a single mom. The whole thing about dads is like, that'd be great. There is no dad in my home. Maybe you're a blended family. There's been divorces. There are kids here, kids there. Some are there. Some are there. God's got grace for whatever your situation is. Maybe your kids are now addicted. Maybe your kids are atheists. Maybe your kids are, have sexual identity issues. Your kids are out there. Listen, it's not over yet. God has grace upon grace, and he's going to use everything if we will believe him and if we will trust him. If you want to blame yourself for how your kids are turning out or how they have turned out, honestly, you need to blame God then too. Because guess what? You haven't been the only parent. There is another parent who loves them more than you love them. They were created for him. They're his kids before they're your kids. And the Bible says he disciplines them. So are you saying God's doing a horrible job with your children? I don't think you want to say that. So I've been thinking a lot this week about parenting. And so so what my mom used to say to Jimmy and I, the, the last two, she would say, the first four got our time. The last two got our money. Mom and dad tried really hard with the first four. By the time Jimmy and I came along, they were just exhausted. I call Jimmy and I free-range children. (laughs) It was just like, mom, I've got a problem. And she's like, why are you coming to me? Just solve it. You know, I've got my own problems. And so we just kind of, but there was less financial stress Uh, The paper was making it now. We were doing a little better. And so we, Jimmy and I just, we just kind of took, we were horrible. Anyway, whatever. Um, And I was just thinking about, Alice and I became parents. I was, we were both 23 when we had Matt. We had four children before we were 30 years old. And we come into it with all we have is how our parents parented us. And I'm like, God, this is the plan? People that should not be parents are parenting. People that don't even know how little they know. We were absolutely clueless. We were underwater with how hard it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be and how many issues there were going to be. We knew nothing. Honestly, I just think, I think God enjoys it. I think God's like, let's just see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's get her pregnant again. Let's just, let's just see what happens. I, I, I honestly think that he is not as stressed out as we are. I, I think he understands that something has to give and that he's, he's, he's just got this, this whole thing in his hand. And I think we need to, as parents, I think we need to laugh more. I think we need to enjoy God more. I think we need to enjoy our children more. More. And I, and I think we need to believe that the grace of God is going after our kids. The grace of God is able to track them down when you and I can't track them down. God is amazing. This last week, I heard a story from Pastor Derek about a young lady in our church, and uh, I said, Sarah, can I, would you ask her permission? Could I share this story? And she immediately said, whatever will help other people, I want it to be told. So this is a young woman raised in this church at ALCS, just kind of went astray in high school and became confused about identity and changed her name and moved out west and and just was... In her words, running as far from God and as far from the church as she could. But she had an experience a year ago, about a year ago, where God spoke to her. And here's, I wrote down exactly what God spoke to her You can keep running and hiding, but I see you. I'll find you no matter what disguise you wear. I'm right here. Last week we talked about God's tenderness in the wilderness. What I didn't tell you about the context of Hosea 2.14, this is a, a prostitute. This is a, it's all about Israel being a prostitute from God, going off on her own, doing her own thing. And this is God's response to running as far away from God and the things of God as possible is God says, I'm going to use the wilderness and I'm gonna speak tenderly. What she told Derek was this, something broke inside of me and I, I didn't wanna live that life anymore. And so I'm coming back into the area. When she told Derek who it was, she was using her given name at birth and she said, I just wanna be a blessing I want my children to be raised the right way. I want to serve in any way I can serve. And you know what the Bible says about the, the prodigal son? It says that the father saw him while he was still a long way off. It doesn't matter how far you are from God right now. It doesn't matter how much running you've done to stay away from him. It doesn't matter that you've said you hate God, you hate your parents. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far away you are. God sees you. He validates you. He sees all the forces that you are dealing with, even the unseen forces that you don't see that are trapping you, that are, that are causing all of this angst and confusion. And God says, I see you. You can keep running if you want to, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And sometimes, like it happened with this young lady, she was just tired of running. I want to come home. I want to come home. Here's what I want you to know. Every single one of you, everyone here, everyone online, there is a home for you in the presence of God. Yeah. There is a home for you in Jesus. There is a blessing. When God thinks about you, he's not thinking about punishment. He's thinking about, I want them in my blessing. I want them in my favor. I want them home, safe with me